what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Would Not Recommend. This is Austin, and with me, as always, is Joshua. What is good, everybody? Man, we've missed the past couple weeks because uh, I have been crazy busy with work, working out of town. Um, and unfortunately, we have not been able to keep the uh, the old podcast going. I've been out of state, but uh, we're, we're back at it again. We're in the studio making it happen. Yeah, so what's been going on with my line of work is, is the temperatures are high with the line of work that I'm in. I work in water quality, so water usage is incredibly high right now. We're experiencing these crazy hot temperatures, so people are still using water. Um, so I'm doing my best to run the rabbit. And try and maintain water quality across the the region. Who would think that if the temperature gets up into the triple digits that you would be using more water? But that just that's kind of the nature of the beast, isn't it? Yeah, typically it is. Um, that's sort of the way that the industry goes. Whenever temps go up, water usage goes up, which is also funny too, because oddly enough, during the cooler months, water usage also goes up. People trying to get a nice hot shower get in from the cold elements, run themselves a nice hot bath. Um, so you get it at both times of the year, kind of peak, right in the middle of summer, right towards the end. And uh, right there in the middle of the winter, you get an uptick. But it's funny, so I'm either doing my job in incredibly hot weather or incredibly cool weather. Which is absolutely nuts. And speaking of temperatures, um, you know, hot, cold, the real estate market's been kind of another reason why I also haven't been on the podcast myself is just it's been so um to quote my grandfather gangbusters it's just been you know showing after showing contract after contract which is something that I'm extremely thankful for but um you know there's people saying that it's going to slow down people saying that it's going to crash I don't foresee that happening for the remainder of the year um in fact I actually have a really awesome client that's going to be closing with me. Obviously, I'm going to keep her information private, but she's 86 years old, moving up from Texas, and uh, just an absolute firecracker of a client. And so I'm excited for her to make her transition uh, moving up here on Wednesday. So that's exciting. Um, let's go ahead and get started on Motor Monday. We actually, so. We have a loss. We have a loss. Um, so tell us a little bit about your Motor Monday experience because it's pertinent to you, Austin. Yeah, so I've, uh, as I've mentioned previously, I have a KTM, or I had a KTM Duke 390. Uh, it was a 2017, and it had basically no miles. It was pretty much a new bike. Very mint. In incredibly good condition. And I just, it was one of those where it was a little scalpel, and man, that thing was fun to ride. You thought about turning the corner and it was there. That thing was zippy. Um, but it was just time for something newer and bigger and better. And so I, I had a, a friend that I've known for a long time that has been kind of asking me for a while now, what are you going to do with that bike? What are you going to do with that bike? What are you going to do with that bike? <laughs> and finally I caved and I threw out a number and, he didn't even balk at it, and next thing you know, I'm watching it head on down the road, knowing it's not going to come back, and it was kind of a bummer, man. I was like, this is going away. Well, why don't you elaborate a little bit on you know, that, that first conversation, because what was cool about it is, so he came with his dad, right, who hadn't rode in a long time, and he wanted to look at it as well. Yeah, he actually hadn't um, ridden a street bike ever. He was a dirt bike rider, and his father that came with him, he's owned a multi-
multitude of bikes over the years, but he actually hadn't ridden a motorcycle in about 10 years, as Josh said. Um, so he brought his dad. His dad looked it over, which I, I really do appreciate that in any transaction that I'm doing when somebody takes the time to look it over and really analyze everything and hone in on anything that could possibly be wrong. I mean, if a, a, to, as a pride of ownership thing is to have somebody really look your bike over and go, oh, wow, it's in immaculate condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, that means a lot to me as the seller. And, of course, I want to make sure that whoever buys this bike is going to enjoy it and appreciate it and really have fun on it and use it. That, I mean, that's a big thing. Like, anytime you sell something, you go, man, I hope this person doesn't abuse it or, like, mm-hmm. not take care of it or not maintain it. I mean, there really is nothing worse than like selling, in my mind at least, than selling your vehicle and watching somebody neglect it that way. That, that oh, really bums man. me out. Which, unfortunately, I, I've sold some vehicles in the past, and you see them a couple months later, and it looks like they've gone through a paper shredder, and you're like, <laughs> Why? Exactly. So, it was good. His, his dad jumped on it and ran it down the road a little bit. Uh, since he still has his end endorsement, and he took it for a test drive, and he came back, and he was like a little kid. It, it was pretty cool to see him um, riding something different than what he'd ever ridden. He uh, discussed that he had more cruiser style bikes, and he'd never ridden a naked bike before, so he really enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. That's what he said. He goes, "Man, that thing sure is a fun bike," and I was like, "Yeah, it, it really is." And, I was sad to see it go, but I'm, I'm glad that they're going to get some use out of it, and he's going to learn how to ride on it. And that puts me back in the hunt for another motorcycle. So just kind of spitballing here. We'll have it on the record and kind of see what ends up happening down the road. Is there anything in particular that you're thinking about, you know, being your next purchase or anything that's kind of ticking all the boxes for you, you know, moving on from such a fun bike? It's tough because, I mean, I see motorcycles and they are like cars or trucks or any other vehicle. They all serve a specific purpose. And I think that the reality of motorcycles, if you ask anybody who does a serious amount of riding, you've got to buy for the specific need. Right. Or if you want an in-town bike, yeah, that, that KTM for a fun stunt weekend bike zipping around town that was that was ideal i mean you don't need anything more um and if you want something that's a step above that you go okay well am i looking for something to do a 3000 mile ride on mm-hmm. or am i looking for something that's zippy and fun and you can take it a little bit further and you can go a little bit faster that's the toughest part is there's a lot of things out there that fill a lot of boxes but they also leave a lot of boxes unchecked i mean i've looked at something like a a triumph sprint um and it was more of an adventure bike triumph spirit not sprint um 1050 it's kind of that hybrid between a sports bike and an adventure bike with the bags on it that comes standard with it it looks like a touring bike but when you take the the bags off of it um, but so they came standard with hard cases on the sides and the top it looks like an adventure bike so that kind of fills those two needs 
but the problem with it becomes is they haven't produced them since I believe oh seven, maybe oh eight. And so you go, okay, if you do find one in good condition, it's got a ton of miles on it. Which right. I understand that miles don't make the bike because anybody who's buying a bike like that and is putting miles on it is typically doing really, really rigorous maintenance on it and being meticulous about keeping it in condition since they're doing some of those bigger, longer rides. So it's an affordable option, and you can do the sports touring. You can do all that stuff with it. And if you just want to run around town, you can take those bags off, and it looks more along the lines of a sports bike. But that's kind of the problem that you run into with that is you you end up going, well, I don't want to take my bags off, but I do want to run into town. And then so you kind of find yourself in that meeting place where you can't just hop on it and run to the store real quick. Um, and with the nature of the, the bike itself, it's not the fastest bike in the world. It's not the quickest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got the top end speed. It's a 1050, no problem. But you're still going, it's not designed to be quick. Right. Um, versus something like a cruiser, because, I mean, I've looked at Harleys, I've looked at Indians, I've looked at some of the Japanese bikes, mm-hmm. um, some Victories. And I, I think a cruiser would be fun. I mean, I remember watching Roadhouse with Sam Elliott when he rolls up. Yes. On the old, oh, man, Harley guys will butcher me for this, but I believe it was a Panhead. I don't know off the top of my head. I'll have to double check it. But the idea of getting on a a cruiser like that and hitting the road and making a trip is pretty cool. Having the sissy bar with your bag mm-hmm. tied up to it. So right now what I'm kind of going through is what really I want to go through as far as what that next bike is going to be predominantly, what box is going to be filled. I, I would like to have a sports bike. I've, I mean, I've looked at CBRs and Ninjas since I was 12, 13 years old. Um, and so, I, I mean, I've wanted a Honda CBR for as long as I can remember. Uh, I mean, Jixer's never out of the picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the conversation about sports bikes, those three are always in the mix. Uh, I saw a Triumph Daytona, and that that was a cool bike, And but then you do you start going, okay, well, we don't have a Triumph dealer local, so if I need to get service, I've got to go at least to Oklahoma City, to Oklahoma City right? yeah. and at worst, i got to take it to Dallas. Ugh. So that that's another thing that's going like maintenance on something like this. We do have an Indian dealer here in town. I mean, I've looked at the Scouts. I've looked at the Dark Horses. Uh, Then, of course, obviously with the Hondas, we've got Honda of Tulsa that's here in town. And that that always seems to be a good option. We've had nothing but good luck with Hondas. What's so cool about that is that, you know, we're we're kind of a Honda family, so we've got several of those. We know that they're quality, dependable bikes, but... Ride red. Ride red. Um, and the friendliest people you'll ever meet ride Hondas. Um, or so they say. Or so they say. It, the thing about motorcycles that's so interesting as a rider as well is that it's such a niche thing. It's 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 an outward display of what your personality is. You ride a sports bike. You like going fast. You like carving the corners. Me with the adventure bike. I like going distances. It's just, I mean, what do you want this next bike to say about you? But I, I think that's ultimately the problem and what anybody who is serious about motorcycles will tell you is you just need one for everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you want a sports bike, you need a sports bike. If you want an adventure bike, you need to buy an adventure bike. If you want a cruiser, you got to buy a cruiser. And realistically, I mean, that ultimately has to end up being the goal is going, I have to have kind of one for each box specifically and go, okay, instead of trying to find a sports bike that's a touring bike, I need a sports bike and I need a touring bike. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, it gets expensive quick. Everybody always makes that statement. Yeah. They go, oh, well, it's cheaper than a car. It's not. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not. For those not in the motorcycle community or the adventure touring community, the term sparkle Mm -hmm. is a uh, motorcycle accessory. And you end up with as much money in sparkles as you do in your bike. Uh, for sure. I mean, I, I think about the kind of stuff that I got into my bike and just over time you constantly, you add one thing onto it. You see how that works with your bike. That's good. Let's see this as well right here. Like I've got a cruise control or throttle lock on my bike. I've got the GPS mount. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's absolutely bonkers. Cause if the Swiss made a motorcycle, like the Swiss army knife of motorcycles, then you'd be fine. But there's just so many different niche applications for it. So, anyways, well, definitely looking forward to seeing what that's going to end up bringing to the table to the conversation down the road. I'm sure it'll either be something that, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to wait until, or are you considering waiting until it's off-season to see if you can get a decent deal on a bike? That's kind of what you did with your KTM, though, right? Yeah, I bought that KTM of mine in November of last year. It was, uh, I mean, it was an impulse purchase like most motorcycles tend to be, but the the upside of purchasing in the off-season is you get a deal, but yeah, the downside to it becomes the fact that the person needs to sell it, um, which I love getting a good deal as much as the next guy, but I don't like the idea of getting something because it's like, I, I've got to get rid of this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Where, and that's kind of like, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with taking advantage of deals when you can find them. Um, but with motorcycles, I always go, man, this is like me and this guy or this gal. We've got something in common. We've got this thing that joins us together. It's this community that we're a part of. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it on the road where it's like anytime motorcycles pass, they wave at each other. I mean, everybody I've ever met in this community looks out for one another, and if there's any way they can help each other, they do their best to to really take care of each other and look after each other. I mean, there have been times that I've been riding, and uh, a group of guys, I mean, I'm on, at the time, a KTM Duke 390 little naked bike, in a group of cruiser riders will pull up beside me. And I mean, you just kind of morph into that group and you ride yep. together until you hit your exit or they hit theirs. And I mean, you wave and you split off, but in that window, you're not actually verbally communicating with each other, but there's that bond of going like, Hey, for this stretch of 10, 15, 20, hundred miles, we got your back. You got our back. We're all part of this mutual experience. And that's, that's a cool thing. So I never want to take that away from anybody um, because they feel like they need to get rid of their bike because it's just sitting in the garage. They're not using it. Because realistically, Oklahoma weather, 
when it gets cold, man, it gets cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does transpire. I will say it, it kind of reminds me I've been on a motorcycle and it was 14 degrees outside. Yeah, not ideal. That's nippy. Yeah, it's uh, a tidbit nippy, but yeah. Well, let's transition to Tuesday. One of the new things that we've been doing as of really pretty recently would be tenets. Do you have any thoughts on that? Anything you'd like to add to that conversation? I've enjoyed it immensely. Man, as a racquetball player, the transition to tennis has been a strange one at best. Mm-hmm. Um, the skill set is almost completely different. Um, it's wild how almost none of your knowledge is applicable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the understanding of hand-eye coordination and all that's always going to be useful throughout any sports situation. But as far as actually going, okay, I hit the ball like this, or I, I move the racket this way, I, I swing like this, this is my father. It's night and day, completely different. Mm-hmm. So that's been a tough transition for me while trying to maintain my racquetball skill set. And going, in this situation, I'll pick this thing up and I'll use these skills versus another situation. I'll go, oh, well, I'll play tennis. I'll use this other set of skills. And it's tough because, I mean, I start playing racquetball, I start hitting tennis shots. And then tennis, you start hitting racquetball shots. And truth is, neither one of them work out in the other one. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's kind of one of the comments that you've made to me is that whenever – we play racquetball. I kind of have this tendency to do these long, flowing, almost tennis-like shots with a follow-through while playing racquetball. And what's funny is going into playing tennis, I do the exact opposite. It's more of like a racquetball-style shot. So I don't know why. Maybe I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> but yeah, just you've picked up tennis considerably quicker than I have. It, I don't It It's crazy. I, I just think – I think – with tennis, you have so many different strategies as far as how you can maneuver the court if you're doing singles, if you're doing doubles. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the only sport, um, and someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong here, where you can play on different surfaces, where you can play on grass, you can play on clay, and like what we've been doing is hard courts. Um, so there's a lot of really unique um, play styles that you can include into tennis, but... I'm pretty excited. I've got an order of new rackets coming in that I'm going to be demoing through Tennis Warehouse. I will say that tennis has been interesting because obviously the support for it has been immensely better than racquetball. Uh, I don't want to say that racquetball is going away anytime soon, but it's such a, um, a smaller community compared to tennis. But at the same time, a lot of the racket places in town that were open pre-COVID are not open to the public. So I wanted to demo particularly a Babalot or Babalaw. How do you say it? Is it Babalot? Babalot? I don't know. I have no clue either. Um, I'm sure that that's going to be something that I'll have to look into again. But I ordered one of those for demo because uh, that's what Rafa, uh, Rafa, Rafa Nadal uses. And then I also got a Yonex just because they're completely different rackets for different play styles. I want to see which one 
is the best fit for me. But no, it's been really cool. We'll have to get our buddy Aaron on the show because he's got a couple of really unique stories to himself. But he's been kind of like our tennis mentor, you know, throughout this process. He he played um, intramurally while he was at college and so he's got a really strong grasp of the game as far as teaching us like the scoring system because i'll be honest it's the first game i've ever played where love is a considered a scoring uh point you know love 15 30 40 love all um but yeah teaching us the scoring and then uh his when we were talking one night um i don't know if i told you or not but we were playing singles and he had done the Appalachian Trail all by himself in 2019, so that would be a pretty cool thing to share with the listeners. So, well, I'll be honest, um, as far as Wednesday is concerned, not really a particularly eventful day, but what I will transition to would probably be Thirsty Thursday. The drink I have in front of me right now is one that I've actually kind of been looking for for quite a while. I heard about it, I saw it, um, our local liquor store, um, did not have any available and then i went to sprouts which is a natural you know grocery store and everything was just walking around casually and i actually happened to come by it's called strange beast natural and organic hard kombucha and the flavor of this one is ginger lemon and hibiscus i'm gonna be honest i like kombucha it's kind of an acquired taste for some people. I don't mind it. It's actually really good. It's really solid. And it doesn't have that kind of weird malty taste that like the hard seltzers and stuff have. It's got a little bit of hops in it. So you can tell that it's got a little bit more gusto to it than a traditional kombucha. But yeah, I would recommend that highly. Um, It is 7%. So it is pretty strong. And it comes in a six pack. But Strange Beast, and that is Strange, S-T-R-A-I-N-G-E, Beast. So I would recommend that. Yeah, skipping into the old uh, Flashback Friday, Josh and I have been revisiting the old uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Space, the final frontier. Our mission, to explore strange new lands and worlds. I can't remember it. I can't do the whole monologue. That's the best part of Netflix, in my opinion, is the ability to skip the intro. No offense, but it's ridiculously long in that show. I think it honestly takes up like four minutes. It's a long one, for sure. But the cool thing for anybody who's into binge-watching TV, the episodes are like 44 minutes long. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want something that's kind of a good, long, like, flow-through series, I gotta say... The effects hold up. It's really incredible when you consider the fact that that show started. We're watching The Next Generation, by the way, with Jean-Luc Picard. Um, was nineteen eighty-eight, nineteen eighty-nine, when that started originally. So to see it on Netflix remastered, or with some of the original effects in place, uh, very, 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 very impressive. And I certainly like watching something from the past, you know, as an adult now. Um, I remember watching a couple episodes with a cousin of mine who um, certainly is more of a scholar on the show and the lore and everything like that than I am. But 
Season one was a little slow. Uh, it's 26 episodes, if memory serves me right, so it's quite a lot to watch. Um, and then once you get into season two, you can tell that they kind of get the right clip and the show just kind of takes on where it needs to go. Key takeaway characters, Riker, what a dude, seriously. John Luke Picard, um, good captain, obviously, very memorable guy. The only character that I found hard was do I like Kirk or do I like Picard? Yeah, no, that that is exactly spot on too. I mean, honestly, such a a different type of character. Let's talk about Worf, though. Come on, well, man. Before we talk about Worf, we've got to address the fact that Sir Patrick Stewart has looked the same for the past thirty years, forty years almost. Yeah, it's wild. I don't know what kind of water he's drinking, or whatnot, but the guy looks the same as he did. From the next generation to what's the most recent thing we really watched him in? Probably Logan, right? Or he's in, he's in the Picard show now that they're doing on the CW. Yeah, and he looks the same. And that that is that's a big transition between the original series and the next generation. Uh, the Klingons have decided to join the Federation, and so that boy Worf is on the ship, and he's doing what Klingons do. He's brooding. Very brooding. I think we're in the middle of season three now, mm-hmm. where he's the chief uh, security officer. And I do love the metric of strength between characters by whether or not Worf can beat them in a fight. Yeah, but what I think that's the Worf effect is what the internet has so lovingly said. He's the big bad dude. You know, he's, like you said, the guy that you've got to hold everyone up against. And then... You know, this new character comes into the show and whoops up on them. It's like, oh, he's really a threat, or she's really a threat, or it's really a threat. So it's kind of wild, but no, it's it's pretty entertaining. I'm I'm enjoying it. I, I would not have ever anticipated that. And it's anyone that compares Star Wars and Star Trek, vastly different. One is episodic in nature, and I think it's a lot more consistent in regards to what you're getting out of it. You know, the storyline links up and meshes a lot better, whereas the other one is... I'm going to say it right here. It's six movies that line up really well, and then three add-ons that just kind of eh, showed up. It's funny because I know that divide has been around for a long time, and I'm certain that we're not the ones to create the peace ceremony between the Trekkies and the Star Wars fans. But the one thing that I will say is if you're a fan of one, realistically you're probably a fan of the other. But you chose it to be a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You're just sticking with your decision. Right. And I get that everybody has their own preference and taste, but as far as sci-fi goes, both of them are top tier, vastly different genres. But I am always a fan of science fiction and a fan of fantasy. Um, and I think that the, if you go through the chain of like science fiction, I mean, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Alien, Predator, um, Firefly, Star Wars, Star Trek. There's all sorts of different branches of this genre. And I know some people prefer the more scientifically accurate, and some people prefer the more fantasy science fiction. Right. And I guess there's room at the table for everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, there's 
good um, sci-fi and there's bad sci-fi. Right. And I think that that's a part of it. I mean, even some of the bad science fiction is good. Um, so it's, it's one of those where you just got to kind of like take it for what it is and you don't have to completely immerse yourself in it. Um, but you should be able to appreciate the differences. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't go out and learn Klingon. But if that's your thing, man, learn Klingon. Yeah. You can major in it. You can get married by a Klingon. I don't know if it would be priest or whatnot, but a Klingon officiant. Yeah, I mean, so it's one of those where if you dig science fiction, uh, give it a watch, man. It's cool. It's fun. Seeing how things are different now versus they were then. I'm sure most people probably went out and saw the new Star Trek. Um, I think there's three of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the new Discovery came out. Picard came out. So, I mean, if you got the time, you want something to watch, watch it for sure. I think that the next generation's good. I think it holds up. I think the writing is really well done. Um, just a good overall thing, man. Well, and before we close that out, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, the next thing that's coming up would be the movie I'm really interested about, Dune, because, you know, there's the old school david lynch dune movie from the 80s and there's the new one coming out by the same guy that did uh blade runner 2049 dennis Vin- dennis Villeneuve. um how good was that movie honestly excellent i love it the new blade runner was just phenomenal yeah. i enjoyed the old one i really liked it um especially for the time again one of those that doesn't hold up as well um as a fan of oddly enough science fiction again don't say dick film but i mean i I enjoyed i appreciate the movie for what it was at the time it came out right and the new one is just amazing yeah visually very appealing and it took from the source material of the first movie and i would say even the books and kind of expounded on that and brought that into a different at least into our current generation so that we could enjoy that um i i think if that's a bellwether for what we're going to be expecting with the new Dune movie. I'm very excited because that's it's kind of a a more esoteric topic to bring up. Like Dune's something that was a really popular science fiction book back in the day. They came out with the movie. People just didn't get it because it was so overdone and kind of crazy and everything. I mean, it it's funny because it does kind of open the door to a lot of other series. I think that the problem, and I cannot remember the exact page, but but Dune was not a short book by any stretch. No. And you go, okay, I'm going to cram this into a two, three-hour movie, if not longer. Right. And I've got to get all these major details in. And I think that the best one that's taken it from the written word to the screen is Lord of the Rings. But I know that took them three movies, what is the extended full cut length? Like eight and a half, nine hours? Yeah, it's it's basically a, a regular business day worth of watching the greatest film trilogy of all time. So it'll be interesting to see. I know that this version is going to be slightly longer. 
back stretch on that, I think it's going to be north of two and a half hours. Um, so I think that they're going to try and kind of keep the meat and bones, but kind of take this horse in a field and expand on it with Josh Zeb and really kind of create his own with it, make it something that's more digestible to the consuming masses. Yeah. Make it the same thing, visually appealing, but not go over the top and introduce a bunch of really kind of strange fringe characters for the sake of doing that. Just get everything started so that you've got a good framework for setting up possible sequels, because that's really what makes a lot of money is for movies nowadays. But if you do it well to where you can keep people engaged with the story over time, I think that's the incredible thing about like Lord of the Rings is that there was the expectation that it was going to be you know, sequel after sequel. But they pull it off to be able to have that work so seamlessly into each other. Let's go ahead and finish off the podcast with a at a glance. Let's make a prediction. Let's make oh, a prediction. I think it'll end up being good. I do. I think that they've got the cast and I think they've got the director. I think they've got the writers. Um, one thing I will say, it's funny because people are joking about the last one that we knew was rebooch and remake, but I think some of it is learning from the mistakes of the past. Um, and the other side of it too is technology has advanced to where some of the effects that didn't come across before will look visually better now. Right. Um, I mean, the cast is ridiculous. It, it's one of those, I don't believe that the acting could possibly be bad at all just based off the cast that they've got. I mean, Javier Bardem, um, Zendaya, uh, Dave Bautista, which, again, speaking of Blade Runner, Dave Bautista, in the short amount of time that he was in 2049, uh, excellent acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, who else is in it now? You've got Oscar Isaac, the kid that was in Stranger Things. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. And then you've got Rebecca Ferguson. Very, very excited to see her in that because I think she did a great job in Mission Impossible, whichever one that was. But uh, it's just it's going to be an awesome movie. Jason and then Momoa, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård, um, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Stephen McKinney, Charlotte Rampling, uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Chang Chen, Charlie Rose. I mean, it's just an all-around star-studded cast. I'm sure that it, it's going to end up being an excellent movie for sure. Yep, really looking forward to it. Well, let's go ahead and get it wrapped up for the evening. We'll certainly be back. We've got some great expectations for what our future podcast episodes are going to be about. As always, it's Josh. Stay safe, stay tuned. I hope everybody enjoyed their Labor Day weekend and they had a great rest of the week. Some time to refresh, relax, get some time in with your family, spend some time with your friends if you need to. As always, we appreciate you guys tuning in and would not recommend. <laughs>